Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on August 24th of 2014, under the headline, Massive War Games Campaign Covered Central Oregon in 43. Here we go. On the crisp autumn day of September 29th, 1943, behind their makeshift breastworks and beside their three-inch field pieces, the soldiers of the 94th Infantry Deadeye Division knew the end was coming soon. They were outnumbered two to one dug in near a tiny hamlet on a dusty desert. Arrayed against them was a sea of soldiery backed up with a large force of tanks, and overhead roared a squadron of heavy bombers, softening them up for the final assault. It would all be over soon. And the soldiers of the 94th couldn't wait. The attacking force was composed of the 91st Powder River Division and the 104th Timberwolves Division, until just a few days before that, these were their friends and comrades at the various army training camps around Oregon. This climactic battle would be the final action in the biggest military training exercise in the history of the Pacific Northwest, one which has become known as the Oregon Maneuver. The Dead Eyes were going to lose this battle. They knew that. But they'd give a good account of themselves, and then there would be hot showers, and a little something to eat that didn't come from a K-ration can, and a frank and useful discussion of what they'd learned, lessons that would save many of their lives just a few months later, and cost a few lives of German and Japanese soldiers, too. Soon the fight was on. The bombers roared overhead, dropping hundreds of bags of white powder, which burst open on impact, marking bomb hits. Soldiers within the quote-unquote blast radius hurled themselves to the ground to play dead or wounded. Soon the sound of the tanks could be heard, rolling and shooting on three sides, closing in on the little micro-town of Wagon Tire. Quote, Major General James L. Bradley's Red Army put up a stubborn stand against the onslaught of the Blues, the Bend Bulletin's reporter wrote, but it was soon over. The Third Battle of Oregon ended shortly after noon when the directors felt that all combat lessons of value had been learned, the reporter added. The Oregon maneuver kicked off late in the summer of 1943, under the command of General Alexander Patch. The goal was to refine and test the combat skills of the three infantry divisions that had been training in the state's army cantonments, Camp White in Jackson County, Camp Abbott near Bend, and the big one, Camp Adair near Corvallis, known to its 40,000 reluctant residents as Swamp Adair for its seemingly constant cold drizzle and mucky ground. The divisions were split up into two opposing forces, a red force consisting of the Dead Eyes, and a blue force made up of the Powder River and Timberwolf divisions. The Dead Eyes would be on the defense, the other two would take the offense. The planning for the maneuver had started in early spring when the commanders selected a giant patch of Crook, Deschutes, Lake, Klamath, Jefferson, and Grant counties for the exercise. They wanted a lot of room to move around in a wide variety of terrain features, not just for the combat training, but also for provisioning the forces. 
Especially for soldiers bound for Italy, and after D-Day France, the war that loomed before them would, if they were lucky, turn on their ability to get food, clean water, ammo, and other supplies to the front. History is littered with stories of successful armies defeated not by the enemy's arms, but by their own inability to get supplies to their advancing front lines. The entire maneuver started with four weeks of live-fire exercises in the dusty volcanic areas between Sisters and Bend, and practice crossing the Deschutes River. Then it was showtime, and Red Team, the Deadeyes, dug themselves into a defensive line near Brothers, just east of Bend, and the Blue forces charged into battle. Over the second half of September, the Red Team was pushed back to Hampton Mountain, then again back to Burns, and finally back to its last stand position near Wagon Tire, where the Deadeyes stood off the attacking forces for three days before the exercise was declared complete. Of course, with a 100,000 soldiers prowling around, with all the supplies and ancillary personnel to boot, traffic became pretty challenging for Central Oregon residents. But there's no record of anyone seriously complaining about it. After all, there was a war on. Ironically, the scene of the Red Force's last stand was the same spot on Silver Creek that had seen one of the key battles of the Bannock War back in 1878 between the U.S. Army and several Native American tribes of eastern Oregon and Idaho. Once the exercise was over, the three divisions that had participated in it were sent off to win the war, each to a different theater of operations. The Powder River Division, the 91st, shipped out for North Africa. Over the following year, they battled their way up the Italian boot, joined British allies, and locked horns with the German 10th Army, defeating the massive slave-labor-built Gothic line as they went. The Deadeye Division, the 96th, was deployed to the South Pacific and prepared for action against the Japanese, helping route them out of the Philippines and subsequently participating in the bloody and terrible conquest of Okinawa. And the Timberwolf Division, the 104th, something of a specialized outfit, having been trained to fight at night, was sent to France, where they locked horns with the Nazis in northern France, Belgium, and the Netherlands. The weather there, chilly and muddy, with a near-constant drizzle nearly all the time, wasn't anything like what they'd worked in during the Oregon Maneuver in sunny, if occasionally icy-cold, central Oregon, but it sure must have reminded them of their training back home at Swamp Adair. Key sources in this story have included works by Phil Brogan and the archives of the Bend Bulletin. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are offbeat Oregon history type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.